Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. We're going to be talking about work. You know, sometimes when we talk about work, it really bleeds over into a lot of other areas in our lives. I'm getting ready to do a presentation in Miami, a real estate convention, on life balance. You know, this thing we call work, uh, it has a lot to do with how we run other parts of our lives. In an interview I did yesterday on um, Wisdom Meets Passion, my latest book, the interviewer asked me why so much of my writing has to do with life issues that we may not see directly connected to work. Well, here's the deal. You know, if I just wrote about how to do a resume, how to interview, how to negotiate salary, how to start a business, I'd probably get bored. But, you know, we, we can't address those things without having it carry over into areas of our life, like how are we spending not only the time at work, but the rest of our time. How are we treating ourselves physically so that we bring our very best to work? How do we deal with disappointment? I mean, we could go on and on and on, but today we're going to be looking at one particular aspect that we have all experienced in one way or another, and that is failure. I get probably more questions about that one topic than perhaps any other one topic. Questions about failure. How do we deal with failure? Now, a couple weeks ago, I shared just real briefly at the end of a podcast, a question from Ken, and it, it kind of precipitated my thinking that maybe it was time to deal with this a little more directly again. So I'm going to start out with the question from Ken, and then we're going to go right into Others, I, again, I, I get lots and lots of questions about this, but I'm going to kind of weave the questions in today and really deal with this issue of failure. Let me start with a quotation, and then I'll tell you some of the questions we're going to be dealing with. The quotation comes from Theodore Roosevelt, who said, Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by a failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in a gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. Well, we're going to be talking about how to crash big and succeed big. They all come in the same package. Here's some of the questions we'll look at. Dan, if I fail, do I have to start over? How do we set ourselves up for failure? Do I have to pass through failure to get to success? Now, that's a common question, and I'll tell you why when we get there. Uh, Dan, is there any difference in trying but failing? And Okay, I, I need to rephrase this. Get my intonation right here. Is there any difference in trying but failing and simply failing to try if you end up in the same place anyway? Wow. Isn't part of failing just being unlucky? How about this? If I set my goals too high, I'm bound to fail. Shouldn't I just set lower goals? 
And then what are the five essentials required to come back from failure? So we're going to have fun unpacking this. This is not something to be avoided. It's not something to be, you know, swept under the rug and never talked about. Nah, we're going to just shine a light on it. We're going to shine a light on it because it's a pretty common part of the journey to doing anything extraordinary. Now, like from the quotation with Teddy Roosevelt, if you want to just live in mediocrity, never risk much, never fail much, never succeed much. Well, you could do that. That's not where I want to live. I like to live right on the edge where one misstep is going to have me crashing in defeat, but one more step is going to have me standing on top of the mountain in victory. I don't know. I just like the, like the adrenaline rush. Now, that may not be your style, but for me, that's it. I've learned to temper that a little bit as I've gotten older, so I don't put all the eggs in the line, so to speak. But I still love the anticipation of every new day, knowing that it, there's no guarantees. It's not totally assured what's going to happen the next day. I have to get up and get in the game, make things happen. You know, when I think about retiring, I see people that just kind of step out of this whole game of life in that way, and they're just going to kind of sit around on a lawn chair for 30 years. And I think, you got to be kidding me. I can't imagine having that kind of an existence. I want to be in the game, fully engaged till the day I die. And I fully hope that is the case. I mean, Joanna and I have talked about that. I mean, God forbid that I should spend 20 years in a retirement center somewhere. I, I want to be in the game. I want to be fully engaged the day I die. Now, I'm not dreading, you know, a change of pace necessarily, but it's just what I enjoy. It's what makes my heart sing. It make, makes me get up in the morning. And I love this, uh, this whole process. But along with that, yeah, not everything is assured success. For sure. Well, here is a question from Ken. Ken said, I'm 60 and employed, but I feel like I need more money because my mom is in assisted living. If I start a new business, I feel extreme pressure because I cannot afford to fail at all. Now, that's a tough starting point. I cannot afford to fail at all. Now, surely when we map out a new venture of any kind, we want it to succeed. But I cannot afford to fail at all. If, if we really go too far in that direction, then we don't risk enough to really get in the game. If I cannot afford to fail at all, I should not put something up on eBay and hope that somebody buys it. I should certainly not write a book. I mean, what if people don't buy it? I mean, that, there's too much risk in that. So if I can't afford to fail, then I... I'm not going to do much. So we back ourselves into a corner if we have to have absolute assurance that we're not going to fail. Well, even then, it's not assured, obviously, because a lot of people you know, go to work for companies out here confident that there'll be no failure because now they have a job. So they can turn off their brains, just show up at work in the morning and get a paycheck on Friday. Well, a lot of people have discovered that's just an illusion. That's an illusion that there's security or safety in that. There's not at all. 
and they end up having a dramatic failure experience, even in that, what we thought was a protected world to be in. Here's another comment. This comes from Eric. Dan, I'd like to hear more of your thoughts on failure. Since most of us who are trying to live a life with no more Mondays are probably going to fail several times, what does a successful failure look like? How much should we risk in pursuit of our dreams? As you often say, we must not be paralyzed by our fear of failure, but I doubt you would suggest that we risk our marriages, health, homes, while we seek to reach our goals. What do you think is the right balance in this area? Boy, that's a great question, Eric. You know, I I believe there really are successful failures in business. That's not an oxymoron. You know, two words that can't go together, successful failure. Uh, It sounds like that, but I think you really can have a successful failure. Napoleon Hill once said, failure seems to be nature's plan for preparing us for great responsibilities. So part of the issue is, do you want to do something great in any area? Again, if you're, if you're content with mediocrity in your life, then you'll protect yourself against any failure. But just recognize that is a trade-off. But here's an important distinction. It's not just what you do in a job or your business that will identify you as a success or failure. I mean, not having date nights or not saying I love you daily will put your marriage at risk of failure. Spending 65 hours a week at your job will put your emotional well-being at risk of failure. Eating Twinkies and Big Macs and not exercising will put your health at risk of failure. Financing a car or paying more than the equivalent of one month's income in cash for a car will put your financial health at risk of failure. Spending less than an hour a day on physical or personal and spiritual development sets you up for risk of failure in those areas. And then expecting a company to continue giving you a paycheck puts you at risk of failure. So there are a lot of ways that people set themselves up for failure totally outside of what we would consider just in work. See, the counterpart to this is then if you're a success, if you are successful in all the areas that I just mentioned, then failure in a business venture is not totally crippling. It's simply one area in which to readjust and start again. I've heard that Richard Branson will not invest in any company unless the person in charge has failed at least twice. Now, I'm convinced that had I not had a major failure in business a few years ago, leaving me with about $430,000 in debt, if I wouldn't have gone through that, I would have continued with a very unrealistic view of my golden touch for one thing. I think I needed that experience to open my eyes, you know, not to make me cynical, but to help me create a more solid business structure going forward. You know, when I hear about these people who commit suicide upon losing a job or business or their financial portfolio, I just almost always, if you look a little deeper, you see that they neglected excellence and success in the more important areas of their life. Having rich deposits in relationships, spiritual well-being, health, and social connections act as a buffer in carrying us through any temporary business failure. Here's what I recommend for risking in a no more Monday's work option since Eric asked, asked about that. Take responsibility for where you are, whether good or bad. Continue making deposits of success in the physical, spiritual, 
personal development and relationship areas of your life. Pursue work that engages your passions as well as your abilities. Weigh the financial requirements very carefully. Personally, I have seven different areas of revenue generation in my small business. That way, if one fails, it's not devastating. Recognize that a temporary financial loss does not need to be the end of your business venture. It's probably just a wake-up call helping you to readjust for bigger successes in the future. Make the adjustment and know that you're now closer to ultimate success. So Eric, yeah, recognize that many people risk failure in their marriages and their health and their homes while desperately trying to hang on to a real job. Identifying your passion, creating a careful plan of action, and moving into a, a no more Monday's work venture may be the very thing to reduce risk and increase your opportunity for true success. Well, here's a question. This comes from Josh. Josh says, I've studied many entrepreneurs and successful people. Most of them have gone through some sort of life trial, which I correlate to becoming successful. I'm concerned that I'm not going to do well because I've not gone through that learning experience yet. Your thoughts, please. Well, so Josh is, is questioning, you know, should he set himself up for failure? So he gets that behind him because he keeps hearing about people who end up extraordinarily successful always have done that. Just like I mentioned, Richard Branson won't invest in a company where the founder hasn't failed at least twice. Well, we, we hear a lot about failures of people who are ultimately very successful And I've certainly talked openly about my business flops on my way to where I am today. Many of you are familiar with my friend Dave Ramsey and his big crash in real estate that set him up for helping others avoid those same mistakes. And now in the process, he's recaptured and surpassed his former wealth. So should we be helping people avoid mistakes? You know, I wonder about that sometimes as a parent. I mean, how are your children going to learn if they don't stumble once in a while if we protect them from everything we see a whole lot of that these days protect them from everything they're really unprepared for the reality of the world when they get out there on their own you know are we preventing people around us from experiencing their ultimate success are we prolonging the inevitable will their safe path now confine them to mediocrity rather than astounding success sometimes in working with somebody who is frustrated in their work, you know, I tell them the best thing that could happen to you is if you got fired. And I I remember one time working with a lady, she was an engineer. Her dad had been an engineer and she was as well and highly paid, doing very well, but she was really frustrated in what she was doing. And in as much as they valued her and wanted her to stay there, she had all these ideas about things she wanted to move into. And we, we mapped out a plan for her to move into this new dream life that she had identified. And it was very realistic. It wasn't any big risk. It was very realistic. And she could not make herself pull the trigger. And I told her, after having worked with her for a couple times, I said, you know, the best thing that could happen to you is if you got fired. Well, she was just aghast you know how that would be a horrendous experience. Three weeks later, the company announced that they were moving their corporate offices about three states away. She was welcome to come. They wanted her to come, but it would mean uprooting her family, her husband, her kids, and moving three states away. She didn't want to do that. That was too high a price to pay. 
So she didn't get fired, but in essence, the work changed so dramatically, she was forced out. But that opened the door for what she was waiting to do, and she moved into it very gracefully. Well, how do you view failure in your own life? Do you avoid it at all cost? One of the most important lessons I ever learned regarding failure was an illustration that I think I heard from Pastor Robert Schuler years ago. He said to think about an athlete jumping a high bar. Now, as long as that athlete clears the bar, we really don't know how good he or she is. It's only when the bar is tipped that we have an accurate measurement of how good that athlete really is. Now, what, what do we see, though? How, what is that called when an athlete trips the bar? Well, we could frame that as failure. They failed to make it. And yet, he said that until the athlete trips the bar, we don't really know how good he is. Now, think about that in some areas of your own life. I mean, I know I, I want to know how high I can go. So that opens the door wide for potential risk and failure. But if I fail, I simply have a measurement of what I'm capable of. As long as I'm always successful, I fear I may have set the bar too low. Now, I know that I'd be mortified if I achieved every goal I set for this year. Because I wonder what I missed by not stretching more. So failure lets me know I'm pushing the limits of what's possible for me. And that seems to be one of the major differences we see between high achieving people and average people, is their response to failure. Do you see it as something shameful and embarrassing and just devastating to your self-esteem and confidence? Or do you see it as an accurate measurement of where you are so that you can adjust, set new methods, systems in place, and go at it again? I mean, what does the athlete do when they trip the bar? They say, oh, geez, I'm not a high jumper. I'll never do that again. No, they practice, they stretch, they run, they jump. They learn how to breathe better. They work with a coach. They do all kinds of things so you can raise that bar two more inches and they can clear it then. That's what you do if you're on this path to success. It doesn't come, I mean, success doesn't show up full blown. It's a process. And it's the process itself that gives us the value. It's not even the destination. The process itself is success. That's why, by definition, we say success is a direction, not a destination. So, Josh, I would, I would never suggest that you create your own failure just to get it over with. Trust me, if you're doing anything extraordinary at all, failure will find you. But then don't bury your head in the sand. How we fail is just as important as how we succeed. And I say, push yourself, fail often, push yourself to the limits of your talents. Push yourself to the limit, right out to the edge of your abilities and dreams, endurance and common sense, and then go one step further. Your failures will release your creativity and innovation more than education and careful planning can ever do. So my question is, are you failing enough? Peter Drucker says the one person to distrust is the one who never makes a mistake. Either he is a phony or he stays with the safe, the tried, and the trivial. So trust me, it's okay to fail. Well, 
You know, Thomas Edison was an inquisitive child at an early age. He attended school for only three months where the teacher labeled him as too stupid to learn anything. Can you imagine a teacher saying that today? Jeez, they'd be put in jail or something or have parents screaming in the classroom. Teacher labeled him too stupid to learn anything. His mother removed him from school, decided to teach him at home. She encouraged him to read. He quickly developed a great interest in science, especially chemistry. At 10 years old, he set up a small laboratory in the basement of the family home. At the age of 20, Edison set up a laboratory in Menlo Park, New Jersey, where he spent his time as a full-time inventor. Within two years, now again, at the age of 20, Within two years, he had 40 different projects going and was applying for over 400 patents a year. In 1878, he boldly announced to the world that he would invent an inexpensive electric light that would replace the gas light. Often ridiculed, Edison tried over 10,000 different experiments before he finally demonstrated his first working light bulb. On October 21st, 1879, when a reporter asked, how did it feel to fail 10,000 times? Edison replied, I didn't fail 10,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 10,000 steps. Now, who could ever imagine where we'd be today if Thomas Edison had not persevered after 10,000 failures? It's okay to fail. From every failure comes the seed of an even greater possible success. Rick Pitino, great basketball coach, says failure is a fertilizer for success. You know, without failure, we just can never grow to our full potential. And I just, I feel so adamant about that. If you've never failed, you've lived a life too safely. You've missed what your best and greatest potential was. This week, I, I was listening to a podcast and actually, it was uh, Andy Traub doing an interview with John G. Miller, the author of QBQ, Question Behind the Question. One of John's statements really grabbed me. He said, procrastination is the friend of failure. Now, there's interesting thought to get, a, get us off our backsides. Procrastination is the friend of failure. A lot of times you see people procrastinating, doing anything. Now, here's another one. I'll even tie this in. I mean, I run into people all the time who are just waiting on God. Waiting on God. Well, I'm not sure that God needs to be waited on, but, it, but well, I, I should say that with a little modification. I mean, we, we hear the verse out of Isaiah, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. Well, in that context, though, what that actually means is they that wait upon the Lord, that is the same word from which we get our word waiter. It means somebody who's serving, somebody who's busy doing what they know needs to be done. It doesn't imply somebody who's just sitting on a rock. So if you're waiting on the Lord, because in that sense, where you're busy doing what needs to be done, what you know based on what you know at this point, you know, then, then that's fine. But just inactivity, I don't think is a, is a way to even hear from God. Procrastination is the friend of failure. I did an interview recently with John Dumas, who's a member of 48days.net, and he hosts Entrepreneur on Fire. That's his thing. Just came out of the, blazing out of the woods a few months ago with this amazing interview. He has asked the same questions to entrepreneurs of all sorts and uh, has, has 
now has an amazing audience where he's getting you know, 120,000 downloads per month in over 100 different countries. But anyway, that's another story. But one of the questions John asked me was, take me to a point in your journey when you failed or when you had a challenge or an obstacle that you really had to overcome and then take us through how you overcame that obstacle. Now, again, he asked that of everybody that he interviews. Every entrepreneur, he says, take us to a point in your journey when you failed or when you had a challenge or an obstacle you had to really overcome, then take us through how you overcame that obstacle. Well, it's not difficult for me to find one or two or five of those points in my own life. I mean, I can look back and pretty readily see things where I failed. But those weren't stopping points. Those were just realignment points. I mean, if you, if you have a car and you realize it's towing off to the right, you don't just take the car to the junkyard. What do you do? You realign it. You check it out. You adjust things. So it puts you back on the road where you just ease down the road in a straight line. I mean, that's what we do with failure. Well, when I got into the health and fitness center, which is where I ended up owing so much money that I mentioned a little bit ago, I mean, the bottom line looked amazing. The cash flow of just all those people, you know, with their memberships was just amazing. And I just jumped in head first. When I say I jumped in head first, I mean, I ought to, I ought to confess even a little bit more. I had seven different banks tell me no on that deal because health and fitness centers are so volatile. You know, there's no real physical asset. Well, there's physical assets in terms of the equipment, but really your finances are based on people continuing to pay their memberships. That's not the kind of a business that banks are interested in. Seven different banks told me no. Well, instead of seeing that as a closed door, which I should have, (laughs) which my wife is quick to remind me that she thought I should have. I didn't do it. I just said, well, big deal. I'll just get it done a different way. So I, I did. I talked to a couple friends. We all put in some personal money and I just made the deal happen. Now, it turned out to be a disaster, unfortunately, because of some things that happened along the way. But, but again, I don't look back at that and think, oh my goodness, if I could only avoided that. Now, I ought to expand on that a little bit too. Now, some of you have heard me talk about this, but in confronted with that $430,000 in debt, I had some pretty clear options at that point. The next morning after that all went down, public auction, boom, here I am, banks closing in, IRS, I owed the IRS a ton of money. I had, unfortunately, as a young entrepreneur, when cash flow got tight, I used the money, even the money we were withholding from people's paychecks, what's supposed to go in on a 941 schedule, I even withheld that to use that to pay other expenses. Oh my gosh, that is a no-no. The IRS does not look kindly upon doing that. I mean, they clamped down on me. I mean, literally, they had an agent in my driveway morning after morning. I mean, it was really ridiculous. But anyway, that's just the way they operate. They're brutal, ruthless, relentless. It was horrible in that regard. But having woken up the next morning, $430,000 in debt, I had a couple clear options. I had failed bigger than I had ever done in my life up to that point. My options were, I at least needed to provide for my family, right? 
and I had three children, a wife, I needed to at least provide for my family. We were losing our house, our cars and everything. So I should just be responsible, go out and get a job. I had, at that point, I had my master's in clinical psychology. I had previously taught at the university. I could go back into doing that. Certainly I could get a teaching job paying 60 or $70,000. I needed just to do that. Did I do that? Not a chance. It, the math didn't work. If I did that, I mean, if I had done that, just gotten a responsible job and made sure that I wasn't risking failure anymore, I would have never seen the light of day again financially. If I repaid, I chose not to file bankruptcy, but if I repaid that debt at $20,000 a year, let's say that I made $60,000 a year and I paid 20 on my debt, we lived as paupers on the remainder, family with three children. I mean, it would have taken me, what, 30 years or something to repay that with interest and everything. I didn't want to spend the next 30 years of my life doing that. So what did I do? I jumped right back in the game. Jumped right back in with looking for what Dave Ramsey would call a big shovel. I needed something where I had the potential to make a lot of money. You know what happens when you're in something that has a potential to make a lot of money? You also have the potential to lose a lot. I jumped right back in the game. I didn't have any money to invest, trust me, but I took a commission-only sales position. It was commission-only. I preferred that over a guaranteed paycheck because it was open-ended. And it was door-to-door sales. But I put together a system for doing that, found out it was a very predictable system by asking open-ended questions of those who answered the door. I then enlisted seven other guys to duplicate my system where I was taking about half of what they were earning on the commissions under me and turn that into a very lucrative opportunity in about four months period of time turned the corner, started making decent money again. So I worked my way out of what I was doing. But I, I mean, that's, that's the way I come out of failure. I mean, I could have just filed bankruptcy, went and got a job, but I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do that. My, my attorney told me, you know, Dan, it's just a corporation, file bankruptcy. Well, that touches on another area. I mean, I was raised Mennonite. If you know the heritage there, one thing you know about, my my grandparents were Amish, but one thing we know about Mennonites and Amish is they keep their word. Their word is good. Their word is bond. It's one of the tattoos my son has on his arm. Word is bond. If you give your word, you shouldn't need a contract to back it up. And I thought, my goodness, I gave my word. I don't care what the contract said. I gave my word to these people who were vendors, a lot of them friends of mine who we had purchased supplies from, billboards and all kinds of things. I just didn't want to do that. So if, if I give my word to somebody and then don't keep it, I mean, just dig a hole and push me in. I'm done. So I didn't file bankruptcy and I thought, I got to figure this out. I've got to get out of this. So we did lose our house, our cars, borrowed an old, golly, just an old rattle trap car from a friend, got a commission only sales job and started back again. But here's the principle in that period of time. I mean, I know that, you know, being a business guy, I always thought the way to grow a business was to get bigger and more employers, more employees. I mean, be bigger buildings, but in that period of time and doing some real serious research and brainstorming with other people, I discovered there are some other ways to grow businesses where you don't need bigger buildings and more employees. And I thought you got to be kidding me. This is amazing. 
You know, so today I'm a speaker, coach, author. I leverage intellectual property. I mean, it blows my mind what we're able to do. I'm able to do something once and get paid 10,000 times. I mean, how many people have the privilege of doing that? So here's my point. Yes, I failed, but could I have ended up where I am today without going through that experience? So I frame failure in a different way than most people. Rather than that stopping me, I look at it and think, wow, what is this a stepping stone to? What's the lesson I'm learning here? So it was a failure, as certainly there have been other things along the way, and I won't bore you with all those details, but at each step, I look at it differently because I know that you can't get to success without those stepping stones that other people looking in call failure. You know, I wish that there were another name. We, we need to come up with another name, another word, rather than failure, that implies things didn't work out the way we wanted, but it was a positive mood toward where we ultimately are going. Now, one of the questions I said I was going to get to came from, I recently watched a movie. It was it came out back in 2007, Lions for Lambs. Now in this movie, there was a brilliant but apathetic student who asked his professor, Robert Redford, is there any difference in trying but failing and simply failing to try if you end up in the same place anyway? He was attempting to justify taking the safe route, never really taking a stand or trying anything big. Now, I could take that same approach in the experience that I just kind of walked through. If I ended up absolutely broke, worse than broke, what if I had never risked that experience? What if I had never gone through that experience of having that health and fitness center and ultimately ended up with that big pile of debt that I had to repay? Wouldn't I have been better off if I had never done that? If I had just taken the safe route initially, if I had just taken a position teaching at the university or I make my $60,000, would I have been better off? Well, guess what? I know some of those other guys who are teaching at the university. Most of them stayed there a very long time. Guess what the most money they ever made in a year was? Well, for most of them, it's probably about in that range. I mean, most of them never did anything really extraordinary. I mean, even in that environment, I don't know many that, you know, wrote books or leveraged their intellectual capital in any way. They just taught and got a paycheck for it. And when I look at where they are today and where I am today, I would not want to trade places with them. So if going through that experience was a necessary part to get me to the life I'm able to live today and bring it on. So what do you think? Do you cringe at trying something big because of the possibility of failure? What if you tried for a promotion but failed to get it? Or you started a business and lost your investment? Or tried a multi-level marketing program but got nothing other than a garage full of vitamins or shampoo? Are you better off? Or would your life have been better if you had avoided the hassle and the disappointment altogether? Yeah, I'm, I hear from people every day who have tried and failed. I mean, one gentleman lost $11 million, really neat guy. He lost $11 million in gas and oil business. Another younger guy lost $3.2 million inherited from his grandmother in a failed retail clothing business. He was really 
sharp guy, but he had lost it. He had inherited the money. Boom, was a sitting duck for some bad investments. And he was in the toilet in terms of financially, career and business wise. I had him start going to the Y every morning for two hours to work out. Why would I do something like that? What's it got to do with making money? Well, that's a real cathartic kind of experience to be as sharp as you possibly can physically. It stimulates your creativity, your energy, your vitality. And having done that, that young guy, boy, in about a month's time, I mean, it got to where I think he could bounce quarters off his belly. And that energy burst got him in gear back in the game and he recaptured what he had lost very, very quickly. Research shows that if you're under 30 years old, there's a 90% chance you'll be fired sometime in the next 20 years. I mean, Bertie Marcus was fired from a job as manager of the Handy Dand Improvement Center. Now, this is a real, real story. Bernie Marcus fired from his job as manager of the Handy Dand Improvement Center. Well, guess what he did? We've never heard of him again because he went on welfare and got unemployment checks, right? No, he started Home Depot. Started Home Depot. Well, my theory is that you'll be a brighter, better person for trying something big, even if you fail. Now, I hear from a lot of people who regret decision, decisions they've made, whether that's in choosing a career, buying a house they couldn't afford, or investing in General Motors stock. But, you know, what do we do with our mistakes? A lot of you want to be entrepreneurs. Here's what Robert Kiyosaki author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, has to say about bad luck. He says, making mistakes and becoming smarter is the job of an entrepreneur. Now listen to this. I got to really back up and slow down here. Robert Kiyosaki, making mistakes and becoming smarter is the job of an entrepreneur. Not making mistakes is the job of an employee. Now I'm not denigrating being an employee, but what he's implying is You can be an employee and be pretty safe, not make mistakes. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, you're going to make mistakes. That's how you get smarter. That's how you move up. That's how you do big things, move into the home run. Here's a couple other comments about making mistakes. This is Thomas Watson, founder and former CEO of IBM. Would you like me to give you a formula for success? It's quite simple, really. Double your rate of failure. You are thinking of failure as the enemy of success, but it really isn't at all. You can be discouraged by failure or you can learn from it. Go ahead and make mistakes. Make all you can, because remember, that's where you will find success. George Bernard Shaw says, a life spent making mistakes is not only more honorable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. Uh, A couple more. Henry Link says, while one person hesitates because he feels inferior, the other is busy making mistakes and becoming superior. (laughs) Michael Jordan, this is one you're all familiar with. Michael Jordan says, I missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I lost almost 300 games. 26 times I was trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeeded. Well, the secret of making mistakes isn't to avoid ever making one again. It's to recognize that making a mistake is not fatal. They're necessary stepping stones on your path to success. Well, 
I like to say fail high, fail high and still win. I, I talk a lot about, you know, setting goals. I set goals so that I've got about a 50-50 chance of hitting them. I mean, I never hit 100% of all the goals that I set for a year. And I'm pretty intentional about goals in a lot of different areas of my life. But I expect to not hit them all. Now, I'm, I don't mean that I'm just sloppy about it. I'm just casual and think, oh, well, you know, if I want to lose 20 pounds and don't lose any, you know, I'm cool with that. No, not at all. My approach is if I want to lose 20 pounds, I set that as a goal and I do everything that I can in my power and I lose 18. Well, that's 18 that I didn't lose before. Is that a failure? No, not in my eyes. Now that could be in some people's eyes and that's the reason a lot of people don't set goals at all. Well, gee, you know, if they don't, if they are making $50,000 a year now and they want to make 100000 so they work really hard all year and we, we get to December 23rd and it's obvious that they're going to be at 87000 they're not going to hit a hundred. Did they fail? My gosh, that's not what I would call failure. If you went from 50 to 87, that's dramatic increase. So you didn't hit your goal exactly. But the progress made toward that, I mean, we have to realize, you know, success is the is a progressive achievement of worthwhile goals, the progressive achievement of worthwhile goals. By that definition, a sophomore in high school can be successful and because they are on that path, progressive achievement of worthwhile goals. Somebody who decides to be a missionary in Haiti can be successful because it's a progressive achievement of worthwhile goals. So recognize it's this process that makes us successful, but not getting in the game at all really is in my mind, a failure. So I love this thought. Uh, James Cameron, you know, the Academy Award winning director says, set your goals ridiculously high and you will fail above everyone else's success. Isn't that a cool thought? Set your goals ridiculously high and you will fail above everyone else's success. Well, I love that thought. If you decide you're going to run three marathons this year and you fail by only running two, you've still accomplished more than 99% of the people in the world. I mean, what if you had a goal of writing two books this year, but only completed one? What if you wanted to reduce your cholesterol by 50 points, but only cut it down by 40? What if you wanted to compose a new song a month, but finish the year with only 10 great songs? What if you wanted to pay cash for a $15,000 car by November 15th, but you accumulated only $14,000 by that date? I mean, these are, these are examples of things where you set a high goal and if you approach it, you're going to be yeah, failing above everybody else's successes. Well, I, I did a blog just a few days ago where I talked about Ted Turner. I saw him interviewed on CNN one morning and he was asked how he kept going when his sailing team lost year after year and his baseball team was in last place for four years before going on to win the World Series. How could he keep going when he seemed to be losing again and again and again? Without any hesitation, Ted said, I wasn't losing. I was learning how to win. And he said it with that arrogant attitude that he has, but I love that. I wasn't losing. I was learning how to win. Now, how's that for a different approach to the situations we're all confronted with? If you're in a job you hate, has that time been a waste or was it necessary for you to clarify what you really want to be doing. If you just had a business failure, have you lost everything or do you now know more about winning in business than you ever had? 
seems I hear from a lot of people who are convinced they've wasted years of their lives pursuing the wrong career, sticking with the wrong job, or getting the wrong degree. Boy, do I hear that a lot. Would you really have been able to discover the right career or job without that first experience? Maybe we just need to reframe some of our experiences. Trust me, it feels better to know that I'm learning how to win than to think I've spent time only to lose. A lot of times in working with people in career issues, you know, they tell me, oh my gosh, Dan, I've been out of school for three years now. I've had two different jobs. Neither of them did I like at all. You know, I've wasted all that time. Here I am at 26 years old, feeling like I'm having to start over. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Don't devalue the journey that you've just described. Don't diminish the value of what you've been through. I mean, usually in the first part of our career, those first jobs that we don't like are a necessary part of the clarification process. We have to go through those in order to clarify what we really do want to do. Well, how do we come back from failure? What are the foundational pieces in place? And I'm going to kind of circle the wagons here and end with this because this is really critically important. I have been baffled recently, the last couple of years, in, in encountering people who I knew were at the top of the top of the heap, so to speak, in terms of business success. I mean, a, a guy who used to $2,000 suits, first class, everything, limos, the whole deal, called me recently and he is literally homeless. No place to live, no job, nothing. I'm like, how in the world could you have gotten to this position? And I've spent some time with him, but he's been down for longer than when he just called me. He's been down for a significant period of time. And I I have to go back and research a little bit. And I I started studying to see, my, my assumption was this, my assumption was always, if somebody's ever been at the top and they go through that failure experience, you know, it's just a temporary blip. They know how to get to the top. They'll just be back there again. And yet I see these people who have been there in terms of monetary success, get down and stay there. And I thought, what is it? What's the deal here? So I pulled out an old John Maxwell book and it's titled talent is never enough. John says a person's talent allows them to stand out, but their wrong choices make them sit down. So I started looking at that. Why is it that somebody stays down after an experience like many that I've described here and seemingly can't come up again? Now, I grieve for friends who are down, and I'm harshly reminded myself of the importance of not leaning too strongly on talent in my own life. But there's some other things where I have to be making deposits of success if I'm going to have the bounce to come back after these failures in business or career. Here are the things that I think you have to have. Relationships. To come back from failure, let me go through them quickly and then I'll just, we'll just finish up with this. Come back from failure, you gotta have relationships, integrity, purpose, health, and faith. Now we could go a long time in unpacking those, but when I see people who have not made deposits of success in their character, integrity, relationships, they end up holding a cup full of pencils on a sidewalk. Those are essential components. Make sure that you're investing, that you're developing those things in your life. Businesses will come and go. Jobs will come and go. We can't stop that. Enjoy the ride. That's cool. But 
you'll have the resilience, you'll have the foundation to come back from anything that others may consider a failure. If you have positive, loving relationships, integrity, don't compromise your word. Integrity, be somebody that people trust. Purpose, you got to have a clear sense. Why are you here? What is your life going to accomplish? Health, don't neglect that. We've all seen people who end up wealthy and slobbering on themselves before they're very old because they didn't protect their health. Faith, yes, it takes that. No matter how much we've organized and laid out the path, there comes a point where it takes a step of faith to do anything extraordinary. Make sure that you've got those foundational pieces and then don't be afraid of what others see as failure. You can handle it. You can come back. It's not the end of everything. It's just part of the process. Well, thanks for bearing with me with this kind of theme podcast. Again, a lot of questions that continue to come in, but I wanted to pick this as one of our themed topics. How do we handle failure? It's not the end. Continue to hold your head high of confidence as you find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling, and profitable.